Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. Take your Bibles if you would. If you'll find Romans chapter 9, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 13. Romans chapter 9, verse 1, as we continue our series on not just another nation. Now, I see that some of you are uh, you're looking that up, but I'm going to ask you to do me a favor if you would. Uh, if, you are a, uh, if you're a teacher that's going to be teaching this fall, would you please stand and remain standing for just a moment? If you are a uh, school administrator of any kind, work for the university, uh, for the, any, any of the high school, junior high, anything like that, uh, if, if you would stand for just a moment. Now, if you're a student, would you stand? In other words, you're getting ready for school, school's about to start, and uh, uh, this, this week, or even if you're a college student, we'll probably have many more, of course, in our second service, and you're going to be starting college. Uh, have we reached any kind, if you're a coach or of any kind, anything like that, uh, we would love for you to stand because we'd like to pray. We want to do a little bit of commissioning for you as school begins and pray for you. I'm going to voice a prayer here in just a moment, but I'm going to have everybody be praying for you. You can pray as well here in just a moment, but we want to commission you as you go out into the uh, schools and the highways and the byways of the education system. We understand and we know that you are uh, our representative, your Christ representative. We know that there are temptations out there, but we want to encourage you to be the salt and light of the world and be the ambassadors for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And let us pray for you today. So let's bow together. We're all going to pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you. We thank you so very much for being a God that cares for us, loves us, calls us into service, into commissioning. Father, we pray for these who are standing for men and women and boys and girls, uh, Father, who will be in the education system, so much a part of our life, so much a part of this community. And Father, we thank you for the influence in which they are. Father, we pray that you will sustain them during difficult times, help them to make good decisions, help them to be influencers in the places in which you have them or have them for godly morality and particularly so that others might be able to know the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for these. Use them in great ways in the coming school year. In Christ's name we lift these prayers. Amen and amen. And you could remain standing because we're about to stand again for the service, for the reading of the scripture. But would you stand now as we read God's word? We'll have you up and down and up and down all day, but we're going to keep you awake just as much as possible. This is Romans chapter 9. We're reading verses 1 through 13. This now is the Word of God. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham, because there is offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it's not... The children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, About this time, next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah has conceived children by one man or forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, 
Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word, and you may be seated. I hate you. Now, not really. I don't really hate you, you understand. In fact, I'd like to take maybe the opportunity, since I've said that, to be able to tell you how much I love you. Love being your pastor. I thank you and thank the Lord every day that I'm allowed to be able to serve alongside you and love you as a church body, love you as individuals. Appreciate you for all the things through good times and bad and maybe particularly as of late for all of your prayers and all the love that you have shown. But hate, it has got to be one of the most emotional words that there are. It is defined in a dictionary, one dictionary definition, to loathe, to detest, a strong dislike or animosity. And we read a passage like verse 13 where it says, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Well, we're almost in shock of thinking that God of hating anyone, if in fact that's what this means. And I will admit to you this morning my concern about preaching this passage and wrestling with the Word in order to be able to share with you what I believe that it means and us to be able to find an application for it today. Who does God hate? Well, I can give you many, many references to let you know that Scripture tells us that God loves all people. But yes, Jesus did use the same word on occasion in order to describe the comparison between loving anybody else versus how much our love for God needed to be a priority when he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If we can understand why Jesus would say such in the New Testament, we perhaps can begin to understand why God said in the Old Testament, it's quoted from Malachi chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 when Uh, Paul writes this in Romans chapter 9 and verse 13 why God said that he hated Esau. Sometimes in Hebrews thought they would use the extreme to express a sharp contrast. But this phrase, Esau I have hated, without a doubt, is one of those hardest in the Old and New Testaments. And we're not to disregard it and it's repeated here even in the New Testament for a purpose and for a reason. Now we can seek to tone it down a little bit. In fact, some of your translations and some of the paraphrases say something like, Jacob I prefer over Esau, or I chose to bless Jacob and not Esau. Some commentaries I have read have said that when it was stated here in this passage and in the Old Testament passage that it was being stated about, not about individuals, but about a nation. We know that Jacob, of course, his name was changed to Israel. Israel had the 12 tribes which became the, or the 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. So it was about nations. Esau, people became the Edomites and they became uh, enemies of Israel. And that might help for us to be able to explain some. But does God hate nations? Well, my goodness, we're told in the New Testament we're to go to all nations proclaiming that Christ is the Savior and for them to, people to be able to come to know Christ as Lord and Savior as well. Well, it could be that we're seeking to not put away this passage or this particular phrase that says in these verses in order to be able to maybe explain it away. Because while these may be somewhat valid interpretations and contain truth, they fall short of the emphasis of this particular chapter. Romans chapter 9, which is revealing of the true children of God as part of God's sovereign will. This and 
Matter of fact, it's going to come up again in this particular series as we look at Romans 8 through chapters 8 through 11. It continues to emphasize and understand the significance of God's choice to love us. Now we think of love and hate as purely emotional most of the time. If we hate, well, it's wrapped up in emotion and anger. If we love, it's a warm, fuzzy feeling of a, or an emotional tug on the heart. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in Hebrew thought, it was more having to do with choice and with the mind than with the heart. Choosing to love or choosing not to love was more of an intentional decision than it is a heartfelt emotion. There's no way around it, though. Paul quotes these verses from the Old Testament in this particular passage to talk about God's choice. Well, if you know anything about the uh, Old Testament or this story that's found in Genesis, the amazing part of this passage is not the fact that it said that I hated Esau. The amazing part of the shocker in this passage is that God said, I loved Jacob. It's much more surprising to know that God shows to love us than to hate us. At least for us to hate, it's much more easier to understand. We do it so naturally. After all, it takes little effort for us to hate someone, particularly if they're unlovable or if they have done something that have, might have mistreated us. And we understand that all we, all we, we've all have sinned, and we know what sin does to the heart of God and that it was our sin that put the Son on the cross. When we understand those things, then we might begin to understand why God's love is so amazing for us. Here's what I want us to do this morning, to answer some simple questions and the real issue, why did God choose Jacob? Why, did God, why does God love Jacob? And by doing so, we might discover why God loves and has chosen to give us salvation. So there's a series of questions there, there in your notes, and they'll appear here on the screen. Forgive me for its simple but hopefully to help us to remember, to recollect, and maybe to be even reminded about God's love. But why does God love Jacob? Was it because Jacob was good? Well, it's been said that the kind of stories that one tells about Jacob are the kind of stories that one prefers to tell about a relative after they have long since died. If he were alive, the escapades of Jacob would only be whispered among family members and we would hope that the neighbors had not found out about the last caper of the wayward son. Being a twin and the second born after his brother Esau, he was born holding on to his brother's heel. Thus he was named Jacob, a name that means heel catcher. But it also was a name that means trickster or deceitful one and that's the name he lived up to. Jacob was a homebody. Esau was the outdoorsman. One day when Esau came in from a hunt, Jacob had set a trap for him. He had prepared what we might would call something like red bean soup. And when Esau came in, he was famished, he was hungry, and he said, Jacob, give me something to eat. And he, he said, I'll be glad to do so, but with one condition. He said, if you'll give me the birthright, which amounted to a double portion of the blessing, the, becoming the leader of the family and and also regaining the land that would said to be belong to Abraham. And Esau, claiming to be starved near death, he accepted that condition, let his stomach do his thinking and agree. Then when Isaac was old and blind, he called for Esau. Isaac the father called for Esau to come in for the family blessing. Again, this time with the help of his mom, Jacob tricked his father to get what he wanted. Throughout his life, 
He had, in, throughout his life, he, until he had an encounter with God and wrestled with God, deceit surrounded his life. Even when it came to his wives Rachel and Leah and gaining wealth from his father-in-law. Even later in life, when he thought that Joseph was dead and he thought that all of his sons, including Benjamin, were being summoned to come to Egypt. Instead of trusting in God, he showed great despair. Knowing the life of Jacob, do you think God chose to love Jacob because he was good? No way. Verse 4 states all the things that were given to the Israelites. Now, if you've been in Sunday school or church for very long, you've heard teachers and preachers sometimes talk about the nation of Israel. Sometimes they talk about the Jewish people. Sometimes they talk about the Hebrew people. And they are all one and the same, you understand. But often when they refer to themselves as the Israelites, it's because they were remembering or they were claiming the promises of God or the covenant and the biblical heritage that was coming to them. And so in verse 4 it says, They are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. God chose the nation of Israel to be His adopted child. Then they received the glory of God, what amounts to is called the Shekinah glory, which means the presence of God was with them. It was shown sometimes in the clouds, sometimes in the fire, tabernacle in the temple. They received the covenants of God, His unchanging promises that began with Abraham. And covenants were given to Moses, covenants were given to David, and that belonged to them. They have the privilege of receiving the law of God that no other nation had, which should have pointed their way to God. God served the nation in every way and ultimately in the fulfilled promise of the Son who died on the cross. So the story of the Old Testament is the story of God's love for a people who were not good but who were often disobedient. And the story of the New Testament is the story of God showing His greatest love and God's people rejecting Jesus. Most Israelites rejected Christ. But please note with me, if you would, the significant verse found in verse... In verse 5, if we could put that on the screen, do we have that verse? From the New Living Translation, it says this, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite, as for his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Now, if anybody is ever arguing with you that Jesus is something less than God, and there are other passages certainly that we could point to, but here's one that says and lets us know beyond doubt, Jesus is God in the flesh. They, he was a descendant of patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the one who is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. If God did not love Jacob because he was good, did God love Jacob because Esau was bad. I mean, in comparison, Esau really probably was the more logical choice. He was the older one. He was an athletic hunter. He was named Esau because of his hairy appearance. He was a manly man. In appearance, Esau was the more likely candidate to carry God's blessings and to be God's man. So was Esau so bad that God chose Jacob by default as perhaps the lesser of the evils? Well, the answer is no. That was not the reason either. Romans chapter 9 and verse 11 that we just read a moment ago says, Although they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad. So it was not based on being one being good, one being evil, or that one would be good and one would be evil. In truth, Esau never claimed to worship or seek after God. His descendants, nation of Edom, Edom remained the 
enemies of Israel. There, there was a time when Esau actually forgave his brother Jacob. But never is one so evil that God does not desire a relationship. In fact, we know that Peter wrote, God is patient with you in not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I do believe in the doctrine that says that God takes the initiative and He chooses us. If He did not, we could not be saved. I also believe we have a hard time comprehending the magnitude of God's love for all people, for those who are not good, for those who have rejected Him. When Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving the law of God, we know that the Israelites were down in the valley. And what were they doing? They were making for themselves a golden calf. They were deciding and electing a new leader for the people. But after it was discovered by Moses, and after Moses had already called all the people who would come and follow him to himself and to become closer to him, the Bible says that Moses went back up on the mountain and he prayed this famous prayer from Exodus chapter 32, verses 31 and 32. It says this, All these people have committed a great sin and have made themselves a god of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not... I pray, blot me out of your book that you've written. Did Moses care greatly for the people of Israel? He did. And then we read, Paul begins this chapter 9 by saying, you might not believe this. He says, but because I have the Holy Spirit in me, my heart aches for my fellow Jews who are lost. And he grieves at the thought of those who do not know Jesus. He would be willing, he says, to be a curse from Christ. Which means what? He'd be willing not to have a relationship with Jesus. He'd be willing to go to hell in their place, be separated from God if he could. Now in Romans chapter 8, Paul had just talked about the dearest thing in the universe to him, the unconditional, unseparating love of Jesus. And then he writes he'd be willing to give that up if it meant salvation for his fellow Israelites. That's a great burden for the lost. Moses and the apostle Paul showed great love for a Sinful, unrepentant people. God's love is even greater than that of Moses. And it's even greater than that of the Apostle Paul. God did not love Jacob because Jacob was good. God did not love Jacob because Esau was bad. Well, did God love Jacob? Was it because God is bad? Certainly, that is not the case. If God makes an unconditional promise to His people, He always holds up His end of the promise. Even if we do not, He stays true to His Word. One of the promises to the Jews was the blessings of the descendants of Abraham. But Paul reminds them, and he uses it here as an illustration for them, he reminds them it wasn't to all of the descendants of Abraham. After all, it was only those who were descendants of Isaac it was not those who were the descendants of the firstborn, Ishmael of Abraham. They became an Arab people. But it was only those who were the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's second son. And we know that the blessing was not through the first son, Esau. It was only through the second son, Isaac. Because God chose the secondborn, not the firstborn. It was not the order of birth that was important to God. It was simply God's choosing. All those Jewish religious people standing around reading this or maybe listening to someone else reading this, listening to Paul, they would have all nodded their heads. They said, you know what, that's right. They said, the blessings and what's coming uh, to us 
It's not through all of Abraham's descendants. It's not through all of Isaac's descendants. Only through all of Jacob's descendants. And here I am, as a Jewish person, they would say, here I am, I am a child of Abraham. I am a child of Isaac. I am a child of Jacob. And then Paul drops a bomb on them in verse 8, where he says, this means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. In other words, the true spiritual offspring of Abraham are born again believers who are chosen by God and have not rejected Him, but have repented of sin and opened the door to let Jesus be Savior and Lord. Now this does not mean that God's through with the nation of Israel. And he continues to be at work, and we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. But while it's true, the history records that as time went by, Ishmael and Esau showed contempt for God, while Isaac and Jacob, though imperfect, showed love for God. The emphasis is on God's choosing those who will. But somewhere, nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture will you find God using His divine choice to not choose or to choose those who will reject Him and spend eternity in hell. He does not do that. Well, why did God love Jacob? Was it because Jacob was good? No. Was it because Esau was bad? No. Was it because God was bad? Certainly not. Why did God love Jacob? Was it because God was good and is good? The answer certainly is yes. And we can go to hundreds of scriptures perhaps and be able to find and talk about God's love. But I'm going to pick three. One of those that I want is from Psalm 145 and verse 9 that says this, The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. Mark chapter 10 and verse 48 says, No one is good but one, and that is God. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. We cannot fathom or begin to understand why God would choose the nation of Israel. His motivations are beyond comprehension, but through Jacob and his offspring, a Savior would be born. But because God is good, He chose to reveal Himself through the nation of Israel. He chose to reveal Christ. God could have chosen another people. He could have chosen to not reveal His love, but God being God is always good we can only begin to understand His indescribable gift, but how thankful we are. Now hopefully, we've allowed at least some understanding or allowed God's Word to maybe light, give us some light on why God loved Jacob. But how about us? Why does God love me? Is it because I am good? And I'm using first person pronouns here so that you might make it personal for you as I make it personal for me. God does not choose to love us because we are good. Scripture says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Captain John Smith, the leader of the Jamestown colony in Virginia, was captured by the Native American chief Powhatan. As the chief prepared to kill Captain Smith with the stone war clubs, the chief's 12-year-old daughter, Pocahontas, lay across his body and put her head on his and coming in between him and the club that would bring him to his death. All the while pleading with her father for Captain Smith's life. The chief was so moved that he spared 
the colonist's life. Captain John Smith was not saved because of how good he was. He wasn't saved because of what the colonists would be able to do for the Native Americans. We all know what that brought for Native Americans. He was saved because on that particular day because of the good heart of a young Native American girl. You know, I love the story of Pocahontas. I mean the real story of Pocahontas, not Disney's or anybody else's, you understand, because it is the story of Christianity coming to the Native Americans. In fact, I've got a picture here in the rotunda of our nation's capital is this painting of what it may have looked like at the baptism of Pocahontas in our nation's capital in Washington, D.C. But even she was not saved because she was good. Why does God choose to save me? Is it because others are bad? I mean, in comparison, if God chose me, I must be a pretty good person. But our comparisons are not with other people. In fact, we're only compared to the one who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the only one who is holy and the one who is good, and which makes us unworthy. And even if you only sin once, well, that would make you unworthy. <laughs> But how many of us could say we've only sinned once? But even if that were the case. But this, this testimony of Paul that we read about, and even the testimony of Moses that we know about in the Old Testament, where they were willing to be cut off from God if that would help others to be saved. Does that challenge you at all for your love for others and for the lost? i got to be honest with you. I don't know that I'm ready to give up my salvation at this point in my life. Thank goodness that is not an option for us. So I want to ask you if you have the same motivation for lost people to be saved as Moses did and as Paul did, or even for their own people. But I've got to ask, do you have any? Lord, break our hearts for our family members, for friends and neighbors and co-workers, for those of this community and around the world who will die and go to a sinner's hell unless we tell them about your saving love. Because i got to tell you, great leaders, great servants, great men and women and boys and girls of God love sinners. What would you do for the lost? How far would you go so that someone might come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? For one did become separated from the Father. He left the throne room of heaven. He came to Calvary's cross. He took our place, the only one who was innocent, so that you and I might know of His love. You're, you're encouraged, as we've talked about this year, and we'll continue to talk about probably even in years to come, you're encouraged to be asking this year particularly, who's your one? Who's your one that you're praying for? Who's your one that you want to be able to share and give testimony? Who's your one that you will lead to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Well, does, God, does God choose to love me while others do not know of His love? Because God is bad. Is it because God is bad? Again, certainly not. God always acts according to His loving, holy character. He defines holiness and love. But these chapters help us at least in describing what we call the doctrine of election. And those of us who are in Christ or among the elect, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, that which we should be truly thankful, even in the coming weeks, we're going to probably will talk a little bit more about the significance of this and why it should make a difference in our everyday life. Those who are not in Christ are among a different kind of election. It's not because God has elected them not to be saved, because 
Those who were lost until you came to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you elected to stay in sin. You elected to reject Christ. In fact, it was at the beginning of this year that we talked about Romans chapters 1 and 2. And there Paul tells us that we are without excuse because God has revealed Himself in many and various ways and ultimately through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So why does God choose to love me? (laughs) Yes, because God is good and God is grace. We're saved by His grace through faith and not of works lest anyone should boast. Salvation is God's doing. You accept through faith and not of works lest anyone should boast. Salvation is God's doing. You accept God's free gift, His invitation to experience His love by placing your faith in the Lord Jesus. I might not understand everything there is to know about God's election. This I know. If you're in the sound of my voice, God has chosen to reveal Himself and His love to you and you can accept Jesus today. There's a tradition that takes place. It's kind of a ritual that takes place uh, all over America and probably all over the world, I guess, on playgrounds to where children choose up sides to play ball. There's usually a team captain or a team leader that takes place, then they begin the choosing, and they go back and forth and back and forth until... None are left or only was one left and they're ready to play ball until the number that they need in order to play. Now maybe you've been many places in that choosing in reality on the playground or maybe metaphorically as a part of life. Maybe you've been the team captain or the team leader. Maybe you've been somewhere there in between or maybe you found yourself among those who were last chosen. There are always those who seem to be the team leaders, always those who seem to be among the first chosen, and then there are those who seem to be the last chosen. After all the other names that are called out, there's the kid who's kind of the last one called, and his his, his is the last name called, or by virtue of the process, his name's not called at all. He just knows he's on the one who ever got the last pick. And he bows his head and he goes to that side or the one that is the last pick if he is chosen at all. Folks, that's who our Lord chooses. Our Lord who has a heart for the underdog, the leftovers of the world, calls those by name who would not be called at all. The fisherman and the tax collector, the woman at the well, blind Bartimaeus, Simon the leper, Legion, Mary Magdalene, and praise God, Jeff Redmond. Those are the ones the Apostle Paul says his heart grieves. Lord, help our heart to grieve for the leftovers of the world. Help us to care for the ones who would not be chosen at all were it not for the blood of Jesus Christ. Billy Graham wrote on the back cover of his autobiography, he says, I've often said that the first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven is to ask, why me, Lord? Why did you choose a farm boy from North Carolina to preach to so many people to have such a wonderful team of associates and to have part in what you are doing in the latter half of the 20th century. And he writes, I have thought about that question a great deal, but I know also that only God knows the answer. Why does God love you? Why does God choose you? Really, only He knows the answer. But if we think that we've got something to offer God, or we think certainly isn't God lucky to be able to have me, we better back up. For God chooses the weak and the foolish to confound the strong and the wise. 
If you don't feel that you have much to offer God this morning, but you're willing to serve Him, you may be just the kind of person God has chosen to love and to use for kingdom purposes. But I can tell you this morning, God's calling your name to be on His team. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then He is calling you today and asking you to make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. And you can do that today. If you're a believer already and you know Christ, He's calling your name to be a humble servant. It's not what you can do for God, but it's what He's done for you that makes you a servant of the living God. You come in commitment to be that servant that God has called you to be. This invitation, this call, it's for all those God's calling your name. Maybe God's calling your name to come and join this church. Maybe God's calling your name to come and be baptized and to make it public. Maybe He's calling your name to come in prayer even today. Follow God's call. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, for calling us in the service. We cannot understand, Father, why you would love us. The closer we are to you, the greater we see that love is. But we are thankful for you, Father, for your love. Father, may that be reflected in how we love one another and how we show God's light to the community, how we seek to be faithful and obedient to you. Father, we pray if there's one here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, we pray that even now, Father, they'll hear and understand that heart's tug, that calling of their name to come and be on God's team. Thank you, Father, for your choice. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your family. It's in the precious name of Jesus we lift these prayers. Amen.